0: We have had, this is our 12th week, and then we're going to take, you remember that uh, for uh, Palm Sunday and Easter we'll be off, so we won't have Course Seminar or Foundations next week or Easter, and then when BJ and I are in Abu Dhabi, uh, Kevin's going to lead a prayer time during Course Seminar for our trip and for our missions partners, and then after that the plan is once BJ and I return, that BJ will begin a Course Seminar on Baptist Essentials, which will be very cool. Uh, What does it mean to be Baptist? Why are we a Baptist church? What does that mean? What does it look like? And that should be very, very helpful. But I feel like I've started to get some pretty good feedback that you've been enjoying this course, and I want to wrap us up by talking about some of the hazards and joys of discipling. You know, that, that sounds ominous. I, do, I hope it's not going to be too ominous. But there are a few things that we need to make sure that we take note of as we seek to build one another up in our most holy faith. And we'll talk about those. And we'll talk about some of the wonderful payoffs. And then hopefully we'll have some time for questions. So, uh, some dangers, some dangers in discipleship. Uh, as we walk through these dangers or these hazards, sp- think specifically, perhaps, of a relationship that you have, and consider whether any of these attitudes have encroached. You know, the, the, whether it's something that's more on the more formal side or whether it's something that's just on the more informal side. Uh, are there any of these dangers that you're like, huh? I hadn't thought about that. Maybe I need to be careful uh, as I continue to to work with uh, this other person, trying to help them toward godliness. So what are some negative characteristics that could be cultivated in the heart of, first, the person that is, maybe the person that's further ahead in the relationship. The person that's seeking uh, to, you know, the, the, the friend, the, bro- the older brother in the relationship. So let's start by considering four dangers. Number one would be self-importance, the danger of self-importance. Guess what? We are not above placing ourselves on a spiritual pedestal. Which means that if we're the one who's further along in a spiritual relationship... ...and we're trying to do the other person good... ...it is possible for us to see ourselves as important... ...because we're meeting with and influencing a Christian who's younger in the faith. And we may be tempted to think that it's through our prowess or our gifts... ...or our strategies, our time, our energy... And through that, we have changed the life of another person, right? We might attribute changes in their actions or their perspective or their theology to our work instead of to God's work. So we see as a corrective that the Apostle Paul sees tremendous change in the lives of others, in the lives of the believers in the churches through his work. But this is how he describes himself in 1 Corinthians 15. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not without effort. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So he's seeing all of his efforts, all of his ministry everything that God has done through him as a grace gift of God, and therefore something that he's not interested in taking any credit for. Even the work and the effort and the labor that he puts in is not anything he's interested in taking credit for. That's the grace of God in me. When we're tempted to think that our hard work has transformed people, we're reminded that it's actually God's grace that changes people, working through the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. We need to remember that both you and your friend are sinners, and it's purely by God's grace that you've both come to love Jesus. God's grace has had an effect on your life, and so also God will use you as a means to point younger believers to Jesus. But ultimately, it's God's grace that will transform them, not your efforts. As those who seek to be of spiritual benefit to others, we need to follow Paul's example and remind us that our strength, our teaching, our wisdom come not from ourselves but from God. And James 1:17 says, "Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows." Okay? So, let's just not get full of ourselves, right? It's not us that is working change in the hearts of other people. It's God's grace that's bringing about change. And, you know, it's not necessarily all that difficult to see that. Think about the situations where God gives a situation that has not moved in so long and so long and so long. And you're thinking and you're watching and you're praying and you're trying to figure out what is it that's going to, you know, you know I've, I've prayed for them, I've talked to them, I've shared the gospel with them, nothing's happening. And then suddenly, the lights come on. ...in their eyes, and suddenly Jesus becomes precious to them... ...and their sin becomes horrible to them, and they come to Christ. And it's like, what was different about this time than all of this time? Right? Is it you and what you were doing? No, it was the grace of God at work in them. Okay, so there. Not, don't, let's not be self-important. Let's not be self-reliant. We can get so caught up in our discipling relationship... ...that we forget to turn to God for the answers that we need. So we might be quick to give answers right out of our hip pockets. We might be so focused. Let's say you're dealing with something with another person that's a little tricky and that has, you know, some really big, some really some details. You're trying to troubleshoot some details. We might get so focused on by the nitty-gritty details and sins and struggles of how our friend is doing and looking to solve the immediate problems that we kind of just forget to point them back to the Lord forget them to point them back to the gospel, to receive the grace and the strength that comes from him with which they need to be equipped. And so we become the answer man or the answer woman, and we forget to turn to the Lord and to his word for the grace and strength and wisdom. And so instead of saying, what is God... Step back. What is God doing here? What is God wanting to do in this situation? We forget to say... Who is sufficient for these things? Certainly not me. Right? So even as we're trying to work with people on the details of the nitty-gritty of life, we need to be making sure that we're not just giving good advice. We might have some good advice. That's not impossible. <laughs> but it's not just good advice. We're looking to draw them constantly back to Jesus and to his word. So, as we need to turn to God quickly and rely on Him, be slow just to give answers, but quick to listen, quick to turn to God in prayer, we are made to be dependent on the Lord. And we need to constantly be reminding ourselves and the person that we're helping of our need for God over and above everything else in this world. And that certainly includes yourself. They need God much, 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 much more than they need you. You are not indispensable. Praise God, you're not indispensable. So we're asking questions like, Have I taken time to search the scriptures to see what God might be saying in this situation, or am I just relying on my common sense, you know, to give advice? Right? Self reliance, reliance on my own resources, can quickly promote can promote quick and less careful responses to other people's struggles, whereas relying on the Lord promotes more careful and Christ centered responses to our friends' difficulty. Okay, We'll take time once we get to the end of the, the hazards uh, to take some questions. Um, golly, I have an older version of my notes. What happened to my newer version? Okay, uh, we'll just... Uh, what about a... What about discouragement when all is not going well? Discouragement when all that's not going well. Um, But I am going to go and switch back to my laptop, which has my latest version. Excuse me for a minute. So say you're working with someone and it's not just it's just not going as you'd hoped. Maybe you don't see any growth, or maybe you see that a friend is wrapped up with seemingly inescapably in a particular sin. Maybe there's even some conflict between the two of you, and you feel like you're just spinning your wheels. I can remember a time in college when I was I was a senior and I was working with a guy who was a sophomore. So I was older than the Lord, he was a new believer. And, uh, and I was just finding myself at a loss to know where to help, how kind of how to help this guy next. I kind of knew that I was supposed to be working with him, and I knew that I was supposed to be getting together with him and trying to ask good questions, whatever. Well, there's this one time when we were at dinner, and, you know, I'm just asking, and I'm, I'm just struggling. I just don't know how, where to go with this guy next. Where to, I didn't have a good plan. I hadn't d- planned this time very well. And he finally looked at me, and he said, you know what? I'm gonna go up and get seconds while you uh, figure out the next question you're gonna ask me, <laughs> which was really, which was really painful. But, but you know what? Sometimes it just, sometimes it just ain't, it ain't going the way that you uh, that you're hoping for. These things can be discouraging when you watch your friend seemingly kind of stuck. Uh, you might f- feel that you 've failed in in your responsibilities to them. You might even come to a point where you become disappointed in yourself, uh, doubting god 's ability to even work through you. maybe the you know maybe it 's me and and maybe, you know, it's not like that's a terrible question, but there's a, there's a lot of other things to think through when you see your friends struggling and seemingly making no progress. Well, no, well number one, consider that you're only one means of God's work in your friend's life, right? It, it's not just you. This is a whole team effort, right? When you disciple within the context of a church, there's multiple means, right? There's other relationships that they have. There's their own personal study of the word, there's the preaching in the worship service. There's times like this in course seminars. There's lots of other touches that the Lord has with this person to teach them and ground them in the word. You also should consider the promise of God's word that it does not go out void, right? does is Isaiah 55 says? As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth, making it yield and causing it to bear fruit, So shall my word. It shall not return to me empty... ...without accomplishing the purpose... ...for which I sent it. Now, how quickly... ...does the rain and the snow... ...bring the fruit? Is it like that? It isn't necessarily like that. It takes time. It takes time. And be confident that God's word... ...working in a situation will bear fruit somehow. So trust that God's word will bear fruit. Don't let a lack of really obvious progress cause you to think that there's that you're being of no help to this person. And try and be less focused on yourself and more focused on God's word as a means of change. So especially I'm thinking now of some of you who are witnessing to family members uh, who have been just disinterested in Christ over a long period of time. Right? Is it the is it the fault of the word? Is it the fault of you? Not necessarily, well, it's certainly not the fault of the word, and it may not be the, be the fault of you. It may not be your, that you're doing it badly. It just is that God's word is taking his timing and his grace to work. Be encouraged. God's word will fulfill his purpose. And second, let's say again, now we're, now may, maybe we're back in the context of the church, be Be very open to the idea that you may not, you just may not be the absolute best person to help this person, right? Do you have to be the one who has the biggest ability to help this particular person? I I I sure hope not, right? Even even BJ and me as pastors realize that there's some people that respond to him in a particular way, that respond to me in a particular way. Are we supposed to get grumpy about that? Are we supposed to get territorial? Right you know that 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 just isn 't helpful there 's nothing wrong with with kind of winding things down or transitioning uh, someone to 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 work with someone else. Maybe the kingdom of God just doesn 't depend uh, on you or begin and end and the sun rising and set on your ministry if god isn 't isn 't seemingly best suited best suited you to be helpful to this person, be humble enough that, to admit that and encourage them. Uh, to develop other relationships. You You don't have to. I think parents especially uh, will be helped by understanding that they have the most significant responsibility to help their kids. But you know what? You want the other voices in your kid's life. You want to not be the only that them to see you as the one who's the only source of spiritual spiritual input in their lives. You know, you may not be the best person, parent, to say that one particular thing. They may not hear it as best from you. And that's that's okay, because what do you want? You want your kid responding to the word of God. Shall I tell you one thing about pastoral ministry? Uh, it's it 's something that's that that really got, like the lord uses to to whack at our pride we can be we can be talking with somebody it seems like for a really really long time about a particular issue say a say x issue x and we're we 're just you know helping someone over time trying to see how x is a bit of an issue how the lord 's word would cause them to respond in this situation and and it 's like And then a guest preacher comes. <laughs> and you know what happens when the guest preacher comes? They come up to you after the service and say, You know what? What he said about X? That was so helpful. I totally see how I need to see this differently. And you're like, And, and sometimes of us like, Boy, I wish someone had told me about this sooner. <laughs> and you're like, Praise God. <laughs> Praise God for, the, for God's work in your life, right? <laughs> you know, I th- someone says, I think it was, I don't know who the quote was, maybe Ronald Reagan. You can get a lot done if you don't care who gets the credit. Was that Reagan? Yeah. Well, it's a great quote. You know, because of course all the glory goes to God anyway, right? But, do, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be you. Other people might be the better better suited to be the one to bring god 's grace into, into someone 's life okay a, a couple of uh, other dangers that that are are posed. this is such an obvious one. it was even hard to know how to write it um, uh, inappropriate intimacy right in, in, especially in cross gender counseling right that when you need appropriate guardrails. So when you study together, when you share struggles, when you pray together, it can create a wonderful and very close bond. Obviously, that's why we have to have guardrails in place. So just, in, it just let's be say the obvious, in-depth discipleship between people of the opposite sex shouldn't happen unless you're married to that person, Right? because the intimacy that comes from from studying the things of God's words creates a bond that could be very dangerous if if it was with a member of the opposite sex. So unless you're married to the person, that person, you know, you shouldn't be talking to someone of a, the opposite sex as your prayer partner or your accountability partner. Even for a dating couple where it might be appropriate to read together, pray together, Lots of care has to be taken so that intimacy in one area doesn't spill into intimacy in another area, where, which isn't yet warranted. So if there's someone of the opposite sex that needs discipling, guess what? It ought not to be you, right? Help them connect with someone who's a mature believer and the same gender as the person. So I don't think we need to labor on that. I don't think we've got much of a... I think that's pretty common sense. Another thing that that we should make a little bit of attempt to guard against is dependency on the person, the older brother, dependency on the one that's farther ahead. So after meeting for a while, your friend might become, could, it could be possible that they become dependent on you for their Bible study or their prayer or their recognition of sin or their knowledge of the truth. And to to guard against that and to correct that, we need to encourage our friends to build up the Christian disciplines and the knowledge and their patterns of study for themselves so that they have a personal walk with Christ, not one that's somehow strangely mediated through you, right? So for the things you do together, like Bible study or prayer, you know, switch it up. Have them teach you what the passage is saying. Right, that forces them to learn how to the study and teach the text to somebody else, so that it's not them just waiting on you to give them the answers. And also, again, encourage them to develop significant relationships with other believers. By the way, that's one of the reasons so that we switch up the home groups. One of the many reasons we switch up the home groups, right? Because if if uh, if Keith is always in my home group. If I'm always, you know, he's, a, he's safe because he's a small group leader himself, but if he's always in my home group and, I, and and he can't envision the idea of learning or sitting under another home group leader for, you know, to, to, then, then that's just not not particularly healthy. We want to be interdependent within the body. So we don't, don't, there's other ways to achieve that, but one of the ways we do that is by mixing up the home group so you're not with the same group of people or the same leader every year. Uh, Built-in cross-pollination. So when I was a young man, and my formative years were at Christ Memorial Church, our sending church, and I was significantly mentored by the, the lead pastor, Wes Pastor. But almost every CMC elder was having some real impact in my life. Almost all of the elders were engaged with me in some significant way. It wasn't just the person that I was, you know, that was kind of helping, kind of quarterbacking, if you will. Lots and lots and lots of touches. What you don't want is someone who's so dependent on you that, if they, stop li- that they stop living faithfully after they stop meeting with you. Because guess what? What happens if you get hit by a bus? Right? Are they going to continue to pursue faithfulness or would they just stop because you're no longer around? What you want to do is we want to see people who are in eager pursuit of these things for themselves long after any kind of discipling relationship has ended. Uh, last, trusting you, trusting you too easily, taking your word for things without thinking. You know, your friend might end up turning to you for the truth without considering it themselves. If you notice, for instance, that they never question anything you say, or they always just take what they read in Christian literature to be the absolute truth, that, you know, you do not, you do not deserve the absolute allegiance of the person that you're trying to help. That, that just, you know, you don't deserve it because you're, you're fallible and you're sinful. Even, even good literature uh, is not inspired. Only, the only thing that has our unwavering allegiance to the truth is the word of God itself. You don't. Um, so when you know someone has put a high degree of trust in you, be very careful about the example that you set and the advice that you give. And be sure to emphasize to them that, they're, that they are accountable they are accountable before God for the decisions that they make. They're not accountable to you, and you aren't accountable to God for them. They are accountable to God for themselves. They must seek his will, not your will. So encourage them to always examine your conversation in light of the Scripture and to make Scripture the standard by which they compare anything. Right? If you're telling them something that's out of line with God's word... You want them recognizing that and pushing back. Fair? All right. And again, encourage their friendships with other Christians so that lots of voices are in speaking into their lives. Okay, let's stop there for a minute and talk about any questions you have from those hazards, dangers in in discipling relationships. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what does that look like for the persons in like a really rough place spiritually, I and mean, you are like mm-hmm. kind of giving them all the means they've got? It seems like sometimes is there is there a way to transition out of that, or is that never? <clears throat> yeah. What if you're in such a crisis situation with somebody that they're just they're really just hanging on, and you're kind of there giving them mouth to mouth? Yeah, You know yeah in that situation, you might have a greater level of dependence, like say someone's caught in a significant you know in some serious sin that's uh, that's just um, constant you know uh, the danger's constant, you might be really, really tight with them for a while you know say uh guys, remember when we did um, John Newton for men's four sixteen william cooper the, the 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 brother who was just seriously depressed and suicidal came and lived with him came and lived with John Newton and lived with his family for many years because he just couldn't get out of that kind of situation. But in general, we hope that's the anomaly and, and of a relatively limited duration. And you're, as the person gets the person gets stable in whatever way they're unstable, we're trying to get them back to a position of more um, independence. So, But there can be times like that. Yeah, John. Um. I might have missed it, or maybe it falls under the self-importance category, but I think one of the dangers is um, making somebody into a project. Okay. Talk, talk a little bit more than that. I guess uh, if we make somebody into a project, it's mostly a one-way street trying to impart information and maybe get territorial about it as well. You mentioned territorial as, mm-hmm. as an issue. Um, uh, but just treating a person as a project rather than as a soul to be uh, grown, shepherded, built up, um, living for the good of others. Mm-hmm. Such yeah. Yeah, so John's just saying, like this, we really have to keep in mind that these are people that we're working with they're not blocks of wood or blocks of, of stone, right? They're not, some, you know, they're not something that we you know, check our boxes that we're working. Now, what's the reality? The reality is we have to do things like plan. We have to do things like schedule. We have to do things like have, a, you know, have some degree of, you know, if we're meeting regularly with someone, there's some plan for what you're doing. And that can feel project-like, but our mentality can't be project like this isn't a home improvement project this is you helping your brother or sister on the way to glory and them in other ways helping you right you will spend eternity with this person in glory as brother and sister as peers standing before and um, standing before the Lord Jesus Christ and so yeah be very careful to avoid a project type Mentality, Heather, do you want to follow up? So along that lines, would you say having them, getting them to the point where they're teaching you, you know, and you're sharing together, it's more of a love, it's not a project. You know, you kind of might start out feeling like it's a project because you have to plan it out, but as you are having them kind of come alongside you. you, become more of a friendship and mentoring that way, which is not a project. Yeah. Well, I mean, a decent analogy is with, with, with children, right? You know, the, as, as a child grows. So when, when, when my one-year-old, right, that's a very, very directional relationship, right? And it's very planned, and it's not very mutual, Right, but as my child grows and the one-year-old becomes a ten-year-old becomes a fifteen-year-old, the degree of you know the degree of mutuality, the degree of them being you know the, the, of 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 the relationship being two-sided instead of one-sided just grows. And the same is true when a, a a baby Christian grows in maturity and and becomes a mature Christian, right? Does that have a does Does that seem like that might have? you are teachable oh yeah you know it it, it can't be someone who's just always imparting as you said before you can't just always be imparting your wisdom to somebody you have to have a teachable spirit oh of course Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah you know if i'm 83 and godly i want the humility that other people are speaking into my life even if if i'm 83 and godly i hope that there's a lot of people that, that I might have the the, the, hum, the humble boldness to say I actually do have quite a lot to impart. Not because of me, but because of Christ working in me. But yeah, even at 83, I want to be shepherdable, teachable, right? Even BJ is one of the elders. He is not the elder, right? He is not, uh, he's entreatable, and he's, listening, and he's humble, and he's uh, shepherdable by the other elders, and even, you know, and other people speaking to his life, so. All right, why don't we go on, just for time's sake, and then we'll have, hopefully, a little bit of time at the end. Joys, the joys of discipling, cultivate a taste for the pleasure that comes from ministering to others we got to remember that this is a matter of great joy. It's a pleasure to be used by God as a source of spiritual encouragement that produces significant and lasting fruit in the life of someone else. And, and like other tastes, it's a taste that can be cultivated. Do you have a taste, a savor for being used by God in the lives of other people. Lots of people spend a significant amount of time and money working to acquire a taste for things like wine or coffee or motorcycles or fine art or learning languages or a dozen other things that are of limited or no worth. Have you acquired a taste, a capacity for enjoyment, in things of eternal worth? Have you cultivated the capacity to enjoy the pleasure of helping one another, helping other people on to heaven. So if you're a genuine Christian, God has given you that capacity. The capacity to love what He loves, to enjoy what He enjoys, which means you'll find some of your greatest satisfaction and pleasure by investing in the eternal well-being of others. Right? Go back, I always go back to, to John, in, in first John, John and in 1 John, or 2 John and 3 John. I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. And I think corollary, the knowledge that he's been used of God to help that to happen. So cultivate a taste for this great work. Uh, Number two, savor the joy of seeing your church prosper. So when your lifestyle is built around the hub of Jesus and his church and everything else are spokes, everything else in your life are spokes going off of that hub, when you're living for the glory of God by seeking the spiritual well-being of others through the local church, God gives you this other source of significant joy. Not only are you going to be able to be a blessing to individuals that you're spending time with, but our church as a whole will be blessed and built up by your work. A church that's full of relationships where Christians are all over the show, caring and taking responsibility for one another, will just be a more healthy church overall. So you're a part of that. When you develop a relationship with an individual in your local church, you're not just helping that one person, but you're also building up the whole body of Christ. Okay, So you want to see RGC thrive. You're a part of that as you pursue intentional relationships with others. Um, Savor the joy of being fruitful for God's kingdom. I hope all of us desire to see our lives count for something. Well, what that means is that as we consider our time and our abilities and our energies, we're looking for a good bet, a sound investment. And Jesus told the disciples that he had the same expectation and hope for them. He said in John 15, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, should remain, and should last And then when we remember that the only two things that last, that abide, that remain into eternity are what? The word of God and the souls of men. The word of God and the souls of men. So if I'm looking for that good bet, if I'm looking for that sound investment, I want to be investing in the word of God and the souls of men. That's why one of the most clearly fruitful things you can do in your efforts for the kingdom is to encourage another person to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. To be intentional in that way. We know that God intends to keep and save his people and preserve them to the end. And we know that God will do that through means. What are the means by which he uses to preserve his people? The word of God read. The word of God taught. The word of God preached. Prayer. Engagement with other believers, fellowship, evangelism. God uses means to preserve his people. There are things that he has set in place by which he intends to accomplish spiritual ends. So if you want to increase the potential of your own life being fruitful and useful for God's kingdom, then begin to build these discipling relationships. And that's how he intends to build up his church. So would you consider investing yourself in God's plan for your friends? You know, there's lots of stuff in this world that's really uncertain. Stuff that you don't know for sure. You don't know if God's going to redeem our culture in a way that you think would be best. You don't know if your preferred political party is going to prevail. You don't know if if your day job is going to be meaningful and deeply satisfying. Or if you'll have financial success in this life. But what do you know? You do know that God intends to grow and bless his people through the encouragement of other Christians. So if you want to play the odds on what's most likely to result in good and lasting fruit from your life, engage in discipleship relationships. That's the wise and obvious choice. So imagine this. Imagine the ability to look back on a year that's been spent in diligent labor at discipling and to see fruit, to see lives that have expanded in their capacities to understand and enjoy the work of God. That's a real and lasting pleasure. It's not the temporary pleasure of the world that's going to fade in a few months or years. Joy in seeing one another built up for Christ is a 10,000 year pleasure. Right? Something that you're, it's going to be paying dividends in a million billion years. You know, I, I sat around with one of my, with two of my schoolmates at uh, at college, and I said, let's just let's just set let's just set a date. Let's plan on the three of us getting together in a million years for some coffee. And you know, one of my griefs is that one of those is not walking with the Lord right now, as far as I can tell. And she didn't invest in a good church after she left college. And I think that's part of the way, the part of the reasons. I don't know her situation, too, but the, the data from afar doesn't look great. I don't know her heart, and I don't know what, but you know what? This is We're playing the long game, and the long game isn't just 10 years. It's a million, billion years. Right? So we want to be investing in things that are going to pay that kind of dividend. All right, we want to see and savor a culture of discipleship in our church. We want to see our redeeming grace known for these kind of relationships where we have lots of people within the community that experience the joy of discipling and are eagerly pursuing it on their own. So why is it important that we have a culture of discipling just rather than a few people that are good at it? Because we want to see our entire community defined by biblical markers. See, American culture encourages individual pursuit of our desires. So we're all here... All with our own individual agendas, seeking to forward them in some way. And that's not what God has in mind. Christianity encourages the corporate pursuit of God's desires. So when people walk into our community, hopefully that's marked by discipling, it's going to be noticeable and people will begin to desire it for themselves and hopefully will come to Christ and begin pursuing that with us. How do we get a culture of discipling? Well, it comes from the top down and it comes from the bottom up, right? It has to be BJ and I and our elders pace setting that we're, that we're investing in relationships for people's eternal well-being. The leadership of the church has to have a vision for building this culture and setting the example. But also, it comes from the, from the ground up. Because we want all of us, all of us who name the name of Christ, being involved in these kind of relationships that we would grow. And, you know, uh, Ephesians says, you know, the body grows by that which every joint supplies. Not just the pastors. Every joint. The body grows by the working of every part of the body. And then, lastly, spinning someone out for God's glory. This is, this is the joy of seeing someone that you've discipled or that you've mentored or you've helped in Jesus, and you get to watch them launch and start helping and discipling and mentoring other people. And that's wicked cool. That's wicked cool. I have guys that were in my seventh grade youth retreat tent. And if you know anything about seventh grade boys on their first year of youth retreat, you know that... All you're trying to do is to keep them from eating the squirrels. (laughs) And some of those men are... I I can think of men that are serving in music ministry, in church plants, in seminary right now, in Utah, hoping to church plant in Utah, um, uh, supporting and being weight-bearing members in other plants, in other church plants and revitalizations. That's a great kick to know that in some small way I was involved in their lives. You know, and you know, Steve and Kirsten got to listen to Wes preach the gospel a few months ago. And all the blood, sweat, toil and tears that they invested and they watched their son preaching the word of God to a congregation. Right, You want to see the people that you're helping go on to help others. The people that you're investing in go in to invest in others for the pursuit of God's kingdom and the glory of Jesus Christ. The kid that you taught in Sunday school moving out into significant service for the kingdom. That's why you should serve in Awana, by the way. Because <laughs> you want to get in on the ground floor. <laughs> or, or live. Or live. <laughs> So uh, your goal should be to spin them up and spin them out in one sense uh, so that they're able to help others. So if, if I, I get to rejoice, if I see the spiritual momentum that God used me to build into their lives, then spin them away from me and into a host of other fruitful relationships. That's not loss. That's gain. Right? right. OK, let's stop and let's. See what questions do you have as we finish up this course? Uh, what questions, problems, like how do I do? Because really, guys, you know, here's what I put as, as my last concluding thoughts. Discipling is the work of the church, not just the leaders. Continue to grow in your own discipleship with Christ, and what will you, how will you take a next step? Maybe you don't know. Maybe this course has given you some ideas. What would you like to ask as we close up the course? Or what has encouraged you? If you've been helped by the course, how have you been helped? Yeah, just something I'm facing right now, but was something that we went through in college. There were three of us guys, all homeschooled, and um, one of the three of us uh, eventually let us know that he had uh, homosexual desires mm-hmm. uh, toward one of the other of the three. Okay, and that the, the the other of the three was like, "Yep, I'm out," and uh, just kind of vanished, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and that was like unhelpful, but at the same time. I'm not like you mentioned intimacy here and being something to be cautious about, and I'm guessing living in Vermont, I'm not the only one who'll ever face that who's in this room so yeah. any guidance on on what what healthy appropriate level of intimacy looks like when you're discipling someone who might have homosexual all right, so all right. what if you're working with someone who has a, who who some it's been revealed to you by them that they have a same sex attraction um, so that obviously takes, number one, you, 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 you don't, get, you would by, by every means possible seek to get leadership involved. Right? Without, you know, without with being very careful with what confidence is. Which, by the way, let me take one aside before I do do not promise confidentiality in your relationships, complete confidentiality. You can, you can promise discretion all you want. But you cannot, you don't have the right to promise absolute confidentiality. I'm going to tell you something you cannot tell anyone. You cannot tell the leadership of our church. You cannot tell, you know, my spouse. You cannot. Guys, we just can't promise that level of confidentiality because there are things that are five alarm fires that sometimes have to be brought to the people that can actually be best served to help. So please don't ever promise in your relationships complete confidentiality and Ask me if, you, if that's if that if you're troubled by that, come talk to me afterwards. But it's something that I think is very important. So, by by every means you can, bring leadership into 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 play, and then you know the answer to disordered attractions in that is not to back away from healthy friendships with the, those of the of the right. So let's just take a guy, right? The answer to Homosexual attraction in a man is not for him to withdraw from good, solid, helpful relationships with other men. It's to, it's to lean into those in the right way, in a way that's, that's helpful, in a way that's God-honoring, right? It's not to, you know, it's not to, to back away from male friendship. So you're, you're actually, so I understand why your, your one friend kind of hightailed it out of there. Uh, and maybe he would not have been the right person to be very helpful in this situation because of the nature of the other brother 's disordered attraction sinful attraction right um, but someone is some man is the right guy so it 's an extraordinarily complicated pastoral situation counseling situation, but it does we no sin is such that. Relation, healthy relationships within the body aren't part of the solution. You know, rela- healthy relationships, Christ-honoring relationships are part of the solution to just about any pastoral uh, problem. So, but that one just has so many, so many tentacles, so many difficulties. But, you know, that guy needed friends, and he needed guy friends. You know, But how are you going to set that up for success? That's going to be... You know, lots of discussion and time and prayer. All right. I'm guessing we're probably at time. We're at time. All right. Come ask me other questions if you like. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful, wonderful discussion that we've been having over the last week and weeks and months. And we pray that you would make RGC a context in which uh, we would all be seeking the eternal well-being of other people, both people who are currently Christ's and people who are yet yet outside of Christ. Lord, make us an intentional people looking to build into one another and building up your church. And we pray that we would each consider how we might take a next step in pursuing intentional relationships for others' eternal good. In Jesus' name, amen.